I think, you know, this baby step has kind of given us the confidence, you know, said we started with 25 acres, the next one 50, you know, I can imagine that being increased fairly easily um, now that we've seen the results. So, you know, I think it's just really exciting. Just It's just really nice to have, you know, a positive and a solution to something that was looking like it was going to be a real problem. The Biological Farming Roundtable podcast helps farmers explore innovative, low-input, regenerative and profitable farming systems. The Biological Farming Roundtable is sponsored by Nutrisoil, an award-winning biological liquid fertiliser made from a big worm farm. Nutrisoil's purpose is to empower farmers to produce life-enriching food. Today, Shelley and I begin a journey with Kahuna farmer Jody who is a passionate and energetic dairy farmer who believes there's a bright future for agriculture. Jody speaks about the silver lining found in adversity and challenges which have rocked her entire community. Through necessity to manage risks, their family are taking baby steps in protecting their most valuable asset, their soil. Jody speaks about the changing expectations on food producers, the impacts of government policy on communities, and the passion she has for reconnecting the city with their country cousins to ensure we are all headed in the same direction for productive and environmental outcomes. This is our conversation with Jody. So great to have you on the show today, Jody. Thank you. Yes, nice to be here. Wonderful. Can you tell us a bit about your farm, where it is and what you produce? Yes, we are um, located in Kahuna, which is northern Victoria. We are dairy farmers. We run a 400-cow dairy farm here, which is an irrigated property. We do have some dry land, but the majority of our property is irrigated. Yes, so we, we milk 400 cows and run 200 replacement heifers as well, and we're also got a very small beef herd at the moment which we're building up. You have recently uh, considered starting to use cover crops and some biological products. What made you look into something different for the dairy farm? Well I guess you know the last 10 years we've been really you know it's been a real transition time for this region due to water reform and all sorts of things that have happened and um, it's kind of really made us look at how we do look after our soil, how we do look after our environment. And, and I think our consumers are really starting to ask those questions of us as well. So in turn, we've looked, you know, we've asked them of ourselves. And um, I guess with Facebook and all sorts of social media, you start to get different things fed into your feed. So you, you know, you explore these different options. Um, so yeah, we, we decided we'd have a little look at the cover crop. I actually saw a um, the movie 2040 on a flight home from Perth when we were allowed to travel, <laughs> and I was really amazed that um, this really interesting guy came on, Colin Size, and then lo and behold, with Grant Sims from Lockington, and I thought, wow, this is you know almost a sign that this is you know, and I had been kind of looking into it anyway. Um, so all of a sudden, I had this local contact which I could you know, start to investigate a little further. And then I went to a um, a day where Grant was speaking and really sort of moved on from there. Do you think the changes to the water reform is definitely a major contributor to your farm needing to change um, practices for survival? Absolutely. Um, you know, we really need to, to go for those water efficient crops. We need to be looking at how do we make our soil hold moisture 
more. And I think that was what really got my attention in that movie, 2040, was they did a, a demonstration of different organic matter in of, of different levels in different soils and just what it would hold in water. And I thought this is something that's really important for us moving forward. It's, you know, how do we look after our our soil and, and get the most production out of it without damaging it and, and by being the most water efficient. So I guess that's what's led us down to, to trialling these these cover crops. Yeah, and so fantastic. Well, I guess that's one of the Jody. You and I have been banging our heads for a little while because we both have the same philosophy that, and and this is your hashtag, which I'm pinching. um, Farms are for wildlife too, so we know that farms can support ecological outcomes. And water reform has, you know, been frustrating for us because we both see farms as being the key to long-term sustainability. So I guess as a silver lining of water reform, it's driven you probably a little bit to this process to really examine your soils and what you can do for that long-term sustainability of your farming system. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, they always sort of say out of you know, adversity comes, you know, opportunity. And and I guess I am a cup half full yep. kind of person. So it, you know, it does make sense. And if we can, you know, A do something that benefits our business, um, you know, B can sort of almost protect us when, you know, in, in drought, uh, and as well as, you know, having benefits for the environment. Absolutely. You know, my other hashtag is that every irrigation farm is also a, a micro wetland. Yep. And collectively in Victoria they make up the biggest wetland so you know it makes sense that we've got this dual purpose water um, you know it provides environmental benefits for all the native species that coexist with our primary production here Um, and so if we can enhance that by adding cover crops which increase your biodiversity and reduce the the use of chemical sprays and go for more for a biological approach then I I think you know that's a great outcome. Jodie I love these positive steps that you're taking. I think the water reform has crippled a lot of farmers, um, but you have sort of taken that opportunity to go, well, what can I do? How can I work in this space? Have you had um, support from your thoughts about how you're going to change your farm or, or the family farm? Um, as in support from? who? Yeah, Tell us, I guess, with your farm, who's the decision maker? Are you making decisions with other people or is it? are you able to make your own decisions there? Well, my husband and I uh, are in a partnership here, so it's definitely a you know, a joint decision. And we've also got our son uh, has joined our our team now, so we've, it's a, a three way split. And our daughter's um, you know she's she's quite involved as well. She's lives away now, but she does like to come back. But yeah, so basically, we we do make our own decisions. We've recently purchased uh, a new parcel of land, which has kind of given us the opportunity and a little bit more breathing space to to trial different things which is kind of exciting a little bit scary but kind of exciting so you know that's given us the opportunity to to put say 50 acres or 100 acres aside and and really have a little experiment with with these cover crops and my son who was probably a little bit skeptical is is pretty excited about it I think so uh, that that's been a real positive you know being able to turn someone who was very much down the conventional line you know, seeing the results, and it was also really impressed with the the moisture in in the soil after you know once we cut it for hay. That that really impressed him. So I think he's really looking forward to seeing what that soil looks like next year when we plant something, you know, else in it and see how it responds. Tell us about what you have done. We've we've trialed the um, the summer species 
cover crop and, and that was really a really fun crop to grow actually. It was in the depths of the COVID pandemic last year in 2020 and, and everything was a little bit dark and gloomy here and yet our area has been quite traumatised by the water reform. So, you know, there's quite, there's quite a lot of negativity around farming and especially irrigation farming and then add to that dairy farming. So we tried this little crop which had sunflowers in it. And so over the summer of 2020, we had this beautiful little 25 acres of gorgeous cover crop which had these sunflowers and fortunately the cattle that we had in there loved everything else in the cover crop except for the sunflowers um, until their little seeds went black so we got the most use out of these beautiful sunflowers <laughs> for the whole <laughs> the summer and they're absolutely a talking point for our region and people were going for drives and taking photos in them and you know, we people were, we were getting bunches away, and it was it was really quite a nice little bright spot in you know in in a bit of a dark period. So, and not only were it doing great things for our soil, it was sort of doing great things for our soul as well. So yep. that's kind of really that, nice. That's so important um, to have that for a community that's really been you know up against it for quite a long time. So that's a great gift to give your community. Yeah, it was, and it was a real shame because I, I was thinking, gee, if we weren't in this pandemic, I would have loved to make an event out of that, like, you know, a Sunflower Sunday or something, and and that's not to say that won't happen. As soon as we can, I think, you know, there's a, there's going to be a real need for that that regrouping, a group hug, and, and what better <laughs> way to do it around a, a field of sunflowers. So the, even um, Tom is now driving, he said, you know, I wonder if we could do a full crop of sunflowers. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just really interesting that, when you've always done, you know, a similar thing, um, it's really exciting to have new, new opportunities. And yeah, as I said, out of out of adversity comes some some opportunities, and they're things that we're doing now that we possibly wouldn't have even considered. How do you think your cattle found the new species that you were planting? Do you think that they did just as well or better? Uh, look, they they certainly came out of that cover crop beautifully shiny. Uh, you know, they didn't chase you around looking for other feed. So it did hold them for quite a long time, um, which was terrific, and not having to hand feed them was absolutely fantastic. Uh, the other benefit for that was we, there was some trees in those those paddocks that would have died otherwise. So that was another reason for putting a summer crop in and, you know, getting dual, dual purpose. It, it kept those trees alive and, um, and which is also, you know, a really important part of our environment here is, is our, our trees and, and farms are a pretty good place to put them. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yes, so, so it was a dual purpose thing. So the cattle did great. Um, we didn't have to do, use any chemicals. I was a little nervous because there were so many insects and butterflies and moths and, and it was right next to our corn crop. And I was a little nervous thinking, oh, goodness, I wonder <laughs> if this will attract you know, something that will be detrimental to our mm. corn crop, but absolutely the opposite. You know, we, we had no issues with our corn crop and we certainly didn't have any issues with the cover crop being attacked by any insect that was detrimental to it. So it was kind of cool to sit down in, in amongst those cover crops and just to, to look at what what was going on in there. It was, yeah, there was ladybugs and you, know, you name it, they were in there. It was very good. What about underneath the soil? Did you have a look? Yeah, the, at the root mass because there was turnips and all sorts of things. So you've got, um, you know, as I said, we're really, really keen to see, you know, what impact that's going to have. And it's certainly growing a beautiful crop of 
a vetch at the moment um, where we had the summer crop and where we planted our winter species, which is still growing now, and we've just harvested some for silage uh, and our, we've got young calves grazing on the remainder of it. As we said, you know, the moisture retention in that was amazing. Um, and the, the the radishes that are growing in that are kind of insane. They're huge. <laughs> they are absolutely huge, almost rude. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, but when we pulled those up, there was, you know, all the, um, the vetch had lovely little nodules. You probably know the proper yep. name for them, Shell. Yeah, no, I'd call them nodules, definitely. Nodules, which is your nitrogen, you know, they're the ones that hold all the nitrogen. So, um, and that that area of our farm was possibly some of our poorest ground. It, you know, it's in the past had salinity damage. It's recovered from that now, but it, it is probably some of our most fragile ground. So we, you know, we thought what better tool to, to put on that than to, to put the cover crop and hopefully increase that organic matter and, and um, yeah, we'll be able to see see what it does next year but it certainly held a lot of cattle the calves loved it they're looking really good so no all positive from here what would you have done with that uh paddock had you not put the multi-species in it probably would have gone into like a cereal which is you know very monoculture possibly would have had you know some herbicides put on it um to, to spray out barley grass and those sorts of issues that we have here whereas Early in the in the establishment of the cover crop, there was a few little holes in some of the leaves, and my son said, "I think you know we should possibly spray that." And I said, "Well, that's an area where we're not using traditional, um, conventional sprays." So we 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 waited, and it completely healed itself. We, we applied uh, um, the Nutrisoil and tea and foliar, and it really it outgrew any sort of bug problem whatsoever. There was no damage of any sort of significance. So that was that was a really nice experiment just to wait and see, you know, what you can do by letting nature look after itself. And, and it looked like it did. So that was great. Do you think after using that summer moldy species that you could reduce your synthetic fertilisers for the following crop? Um, yeah, well, you would hope so, you know. Um, I'm not 100% sure what they have put out on I don't know that they'd put any actually. So that yes, yeah, and especially with with planting vetch, it, it kind of does its own thing as well. So yes, hopefully you know that. I mean that is the aim. You know, if we can come up with a system where we can reduce your chemical sprays and and your synthetic fertilizer, it's it's got to be a win win for everybody. And I think our consumers are going to uh, well, they're demanding it. And I think in time that. You know, I think Roundup and those sorts of chemicals will be will be banned anyway. So I think, you know, let's get on the front foot and, and start working out how to farm without them. Absolutely. What's your plans after the vetch? That area um, is where my nephew's actually getting married and his partner last year when she saw the sunflowers said, oh, my God, they look amazing. Could they be there when we get married? <laughs> which they were getting married. We were getting married in October and we said, yeah, no, that's not possible. But now, of course, with COVID, that's been postponed to March and we go, well, now we can chat because yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you could have a few of the sunflowers. So um, we keen to go either do another cover crop or, you know, trial something like, you know, straight sunflowers and maybe take them out to see. We've really just got to talk to some some experts in that area. But, yeah. Where Very exciting. 
Absolutely. It's so exciting and, and beautiful that we can, you know, you're bringing a, a wedding into the equation as well as community. It's gorgeous. Um, <laughs> where are you getting your help? So you went to that, you, you saw Cole Sice, you saw Grant Sims. Did you go to an event at Grant's place or? No, well, we had planned to. There was actually two events planned that, of course, <laughs> The year being the year that it has been, they've, they've both been postponed due to the COVID restrictions. So, yes, yeah, so I've really just have done the one workshop, um, which was over where Grant spoke, and and now we, we've bought our seeds and everything from from Grant. So we get to talk to him, and of course we now speak with Shell, which is awesome, and uh, Luke Harrington is our other advisor. Yeah. Okay. Are you feeling supported? Are you feeling oh, confident that you know where you're going next and you know what you're looking for? Uh, yes, yeah. And look, as I said, we're we're really just feeling our way with it. Um, so it's great to have Luke on board. He comes out, you know, when he can. And once again, that's been interesting just because of the year that we have, and and being in different states. <laughs> so they, they haven't we haven't sort of seen as, as much of each other as we probably would have liked. But yeah, very supported. Yeah, terrific. Wonderful. And do you think that in time you've got further steps to go or are you sticking with these multi-species? Where where do you see this heading? Yeah, no, I think that, um, you know, that the multi-species crop will always just be part of part of the program. And I guess, you know, if we get our soil to a stage where it's, you know, it's got so much organic matter in it that it holds much more water, so therefore you know, any crop that we do grow in the future, um, you know, is, is going to be way more economical because it's going to take less water. You know, hopefully you've got a better biodiversity in there. So, you know, if you've got all the right insects controlling the bad insects, you, you increase your, your bird life, um, which in turn will hopefully also control, you know, your insects. Insects only attack unwell crops apparently. So um, if we can, you know, get our crops healthy enough that insects will move on by, then, then that's all, you know, it's got to be terrific for our not only our hip pocket, but of course the food that we're producing. Do you think that there's been any mental challenges in in this shift for yourself, your husband, or your kids? Um, no, no, possibly because we're really just you know doing little manageable patches um, that everyone's really comfortable with. They're, you know, they're comfortable um, because trying something so new. Yep. You know, I think going out in a in doing it in a broad, you know, broad acre would be a little a little bit more challenging than the way we've done it. I think, you know, this this baby step has kind of given us the confidence and said we started with 25 acres, yep. the next one 50. You know, I can imagine that being increased fairly easily um, now that we've seen the result. So, you know, I think it's just really exciting. Just it's just really nice to have, you know, a positive and a, a solution to something that was looking like it was going to be a real problem. Jody, dairy farmers, especially in your area, are just so heavily reliant on irrigation and, and we know that those prices can fluctuate so much. Do you see the changes to your farming system as a way to mitigate the risks of the future for, for irrigation farmers? Well, absolutely. I mean, we've now become cropping dairy farmers. We used to be able to rely on, on water as our, um, you know, as our, our risk mitigator that's not as reliable anymore. So we really have to start developing our own feed wedge. Well, that's the way our business is looking at it. 
Um, you know, we have to build a feed wedge so that in those years where the water A isn't available or B it's too expensive for us to apply, then we've got a feed wedge, which is basically like, you know, money in the bank, but it's just going to be fodder in our storages. Jody, you've heard the requests from consumers for healthy food and greener food, and you've decided to provide that. Two questions. Have you found that it's more enjoyable to farm like that? Is 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 there something in that that um, has given more energy to your motivation at all? Or? Yeah, look, I think anything, you know, trying anything new is, is always a little bit exciting. And I think that's why I love farming so much because, you know, it's never a set and forget kind of regime. You, if you, you, know, you think by the time you're 50, you'd have everything kind of sorted, but, you know, we're also... <laughs> <laughs> which is so not true. Um, you know, I used to look at people at 15 and think, oh, you, you know what you're up to. No. Um, so, yeah, I think moving towards that feels really good. It certainly does for me. And I know that, you know, Colin is definitely on the same page as well. Um, we've really got to be advocates for what we do now. And I think if we can add, you know, these types of things that we do on our farms to our stories, then and then we really have to be able to connect with the people that are buying our produce and tell them these stories. I think that's, you know, a really important step too, that in the past we've been really busy and and rightly so, just doing what we do, providing a, a product. Um, but now I think, you know, there's there's so many mixed views on what we do that we've really got to be on the front foot. Uh, and I'd like our peak industry, you know, peak bodies to, to join us on this journey and, and really start to tell, you know, the, the stories that what happened on the ground, you know, that what we do here, how we do, you know, look after our, our soils, that we do look after our cattle, um, you know, and, and we really are pretty passionate about the environment because without a healthy environment, we're not, we're not you know, very viable or, or very, very productive at all. So, yeah, so yeah. it is enjoyable. It, it definitely is enjoyable. And, and I guess, you know, We've got a bit of a, a new spark where we're really keen to start, you know, doing revegetation projects. And because um, I think the biggest thing, you know, the, the, one of the most damaging things you can do to the environment is put pressure on farmers because, you know, if you if they are exhausted and out of funds and out of energy, then then there's really not a lot left for putting extra in, into environmental care. I so, totally agree, Jodie. Yeah. And I know from my own personal experience, I had so many projects that I wanted to work on and they were environmental projects, setting up like a winter wetland on farm and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And But the pressures on farmers limit their ability to be able to help with those environmental outcomes. So if, yeah. if we have society supporting farmers, then they will invest back into the environment. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as I said, if, if we're under pressure, then, that you know, you just do not have the resources, do not have the energy or even the mind space to yep. to think other than treading water, you know, and, yep. and that's what happens. So, um, you know, I think to protect our environment, we really have to ensure that farmers remain viable, remain profitable and remain um, resourced. You know, we need to be valued. And, and, you know, it needs to be a partnership, I think. You know, I'm, I'm really about let's let's get everybody on board here because, you know, as farmers we actually, you know, privately own, I know in our catchment, is 86% of the, of the environment is actually privately owned. So I think, you know, what better way to 
to make an impact and improve that is to work with those people who own that 86%. Mm. Exactly, yep. Yeah. Shelly, Jody, at the moment, Shelly and I are in this space and we're working on this marketing campaign and we never market, we just educate, but this is more marketing, the whole solution here. Um, and we're saying, you know, the line really is that farmers can be the heroes and consumers can be the solution. So it's about letting farmers do what they can do to grow healthy food, which will then in turn heal our environment. And if the consumers buy that healthy food and recognise the quality of it and put their dollars into it, they can be the solution. So um, we're really trying to get that message out there. I love that you talked about peak bodies and that they're listening. Do you have a voice with them? Are they listening? Where, Where are the places you can get this message out there? Yeah, look, I think... Ever so slowly, I can feel the wheels turning. I mean, Shell and I have been on this little journey for for a while now. Uh, Initially, you know, there was very little recognition of, of, you know, farmers being anything but environmental vandals. Uh, But now I'm starting to see, you know, even um, the federal government starting to put out stewardship projects. And I've been involved with the North Central Catchment Management Steering Committee on the Land and Water Plan and, you know, that was really a big feed in there. Where So I am starting to see some recognition of, of um, farming land as environmental opportunities, which is great. Um, There's a long way to go, though, Jodes. There is still oh, a long way to go. Huge. But, yeah, the, really the wheels are turning at least. At least it's it's, it's part of the conversation. I even yep. heard David Proud say the other day that, you know, Farmers are our best environmentalists, which I thought was interesting. Um, yes, so I think we have, we've at least planted the seed. I think now we've got to water it and foster yep. it. And, you know, but I don't think it'll happen without, you know, it, it's, got to, it's got to come from the ground. You know, we've got to demand it and we've got to probably do it, I guess, and, and demonstrate I think that's you know probably what I'm thinking is if we, if we can do something here and demonstrate it and use it as a platform to to broadcast to the masses, then I'd, I'd be pretty excited about that. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so in time, and then Jody, how has it affected your family? So you're now looking. You've been looking at the environment for a long time, being involved in water and ecosystems, but now you're looking at the healthy food and the healthy soil and that connection to consumers. Has that affected your family and what you eat at the dinner table? Mm, Yeah, look, I guess I'm always really interested in the provenance of food. Um, You know, if if I can, I'm a a big advocate for farmers markets and that local, you know, locally produced food. Um, Yes, yeah, no, look, we certainly are looking at it, you know, I always flick it over and make sure that it's Australian grown um, because I know that they're, you know, that means that it has been grown under the best, you know, welfare and animal welfare and and human standards. So that's important. Um, yeah, look, I, I think it's definitely a movement, isn't it? We are we're all moving in that direction. We we really want to know what we're putting into our bodies, and so therefore we have to have an interest in you know where our food comes from and how it's produced. Absolutely, I, I really believe it's the key. It's the key to. The human health crisis and it's the key to uh, the environment and if we can get consumers on board 
um, and farmers can be successful in farming with less inputs and regenerating their soil at the same time growing healthy mm. food, we're going to bring all of this together. So thank you so much today, Jody. Shelley, do you have any more things to ask of Jody? And do you want to tell us about you know our plans with Jody in the future? Yeah, my question is, Jody, are you happy to continue a journey with us and um, catch up with us on a regular basis so that we can share your experience and help others have the confidence to jump on the journey to higher profitability and lower input farming? Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, I know as a business, we've certainly, you know, this is very new to us. We, we've always been very conventional farmers. So, um, yeah, I'm excited about starting the journey and definitely sharing it with you guys and because we really are well, we are starting at the beginning um, and so I guess this is a way to see how it all pans out. So absolutely um, awesome. on board with being part of the journey. So cheers. Yay. Thanks so much, Jody. Yeah, thanks, Jody. We'll catch up again. Sounds great. Please follow the Biological Farming Roundtable podcast. Share it with your friends and networks. I'm Nicola Maddick and I work at Nutrisoil, a liquid biological fertiliser made from a big worm farm whose purpose is to empower farmers to produce life-enriching food.